turn your Bible over to Proverbs chapter number three. Proverbs chapter three, then we're gonna go to Hebrews six, then we're gonna go to Ecclesiastes one, and by that time, I'll get you through the introduction. Are you ready? I want you to say this with me. It's time to hope again. One more time, it's time to hope again. Today, I'm gonna talk to you about how you can become anchored in hope. Proverbs 3, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, Miss Joni woke me up about 2.30 this morning and she gave me some revelation from this verse after I'd already been studying it. I think the last two days I've been in that verse and chapter 62 of the book of Psalms for about 15 hours. But she woke me up and she said, look, Proverbs chapter three and verse, what is it? 12, hope deferred. Now look at that word deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are many definitions for the word deferred. One of which is to put off until a later time. Do you understand that you can put hope off? Defer it. Sometimes preachers have something called deferred compensation, which means that's what's put away for their retirement. And if you defer it, you don't have to pay tax on it until you withdraw it. So it's there for you, but you're not using it, so you don't have to pay taxes on it, to defer it. You understand? But here's also what it means. To give it to someone else. In other words, I can step aside and let someone or something else take possession of my hope. Who's got your hope today? Let me say it in another way. Who have you placed, what have you placed your hope in? Are you ready? Hope deferred will make your heart sick. And then we'll go on to Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. We have this hope as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. D.L. Moody said the spirit of God first imparts love. He next inspires hope and then he gives liberty. And then he said, that's the last thing we have in many of our churches. Why? Hope has been deferred. And then the great Ravi Zacharias, the greatest Christian apologist of our generation. Ravi Zacharias said, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. So if you are deferring your hope, to some event, to something, to some experience, to a new job, to a new house, to a new spouse. Ooh, where'd that come from? You do remember, we have marriages at the altar, but we never bring our divorces there. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Look what he said. 
There is no hope apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no hope in this world. That cross and the resurrection are the core of the gospel. And that is the only hope for all humanity. Say, my only hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Surrounding us every single day, we've been experiencing a pandemic of pernicious and pervasive malady. It's called hopelessness. It rages unchecked in its vicious attack. It's characterized by discouragement, disappointment, and despair. It spawns smothering stagnation and apathy. It gives rise to a suffering sense that life is simply pointless and futile. A poisonous statement can be made like, what's the use? There's nothing that I can do to change anything or make any difference at all. Well, the wisest men in your Bible, Solomon, King David's son, wrestled like we're wrestling today with hopelessness. In Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse 14, Solomon lamented, I have seen all the works done under the sun. He said, I've seen it all. I've been on Instagram and I've been on Facebook. I've watched MTV and I've got 369 channels on my television. I've seen everything under the sun. And behold, now remember this, the wisest man that ever lived. And behold, all, everything is vanity. And beyond that, it's vexation of spirit. Well, it's become the mournful mantra of multitudes in the last several months. There's just no hope. That, my friend, that, dear sir, madam, that's deadly. The heinous hostile of hopelessness has lifted its hellish head in far too many lives. But today, by the help and the grace of God Almighty, hopelessness is about to vacate the premises of your faltering, fearful, and faithless heart. And I told you last week, I'm not a medical doctor. You missed a really good place to say amen. But like a medical doctor, it is my responsibility to examine the most prevalent symptoms to determine the cause and then provide an accurate diagnosis and then prescribe an effective course of treatment which will produce a cure. Now we witness all around us, the furious effects of this spiritual contagion, contagion every day, all day. Get this straight. It's not minuscule. What you are facing today is not a minor illness. It's not something like the common spiritual cold. It's not that you're believing for a new automobile. What you're dealing with today and you will never, ever have victory over it until you call your enemy out by name. It is demonic, 
Stop saying I'm depressed. If I hear one more believer say I'm depressed, what in the world are you depressed about? Listen how quiet it is. Do you know why? Over 50% of all Americans are taking antidepressant medications, many of which include opioids, and the average person that takes it over 60% of them have been taking it for five years or more. Do you know what I call that? Hope deferred. If you have to go 10 minutes from where you are right now to have hope, you never will. If you have to move out of your house to have happiness, you never will. If you have to have everything popping up petunias and turning up tulips to be happy, you never will be, and here's why. Your hope is deferred. It's dangerous. Hopelessness. Depression. Anxiety. Worry. Put them all in a basket and put a label on it and forever brand it. That's not of the kingdom of God. It's not something for you to put on your lap and stroke like a lap dog. It's not something for you to make excuse for. It's not something for you to make room for. It's not something to give your mind to. It's not something to give your heart to. It's not something to give your time to. And it's sure enough not something to give your words to. The power of life and death is still in your tongue. Hopelessness is deadly. It's the reason that people are surrendering to the enemy of their souls in epidemic proportions. It's not because, look, look at all the reasons we give. Well, I've suffered the temporary loss of my job. Uh, some of my friends turned on me. Oh, Charlie, precious Charlie Brown. Why is everybody always picking on you? You're the only one ever had a friend walk out on you. You're the only one that ever had somebody pat you on the back with one hand and stab you in the heart with the other. You're the only one that's ever eaten the carpet at night and begged God for somebody to come into your life that truly cared about you. First of all, stop putting your hope in the frailty of human persons. Stop deferring your hope. People aren't hopeless simply because their everyday lives have been juggled around and their kids are in school two days a week and then three days the next week and then they have to stay at home the next week. It's not because your routine and your schedule has been bumped a little bit. That's not the reason you're hopeless. It's because you have deferred your hope. Now see, this is when they get real quiet. If I tell them the devil stole it, they'll get their buck on. If I tell them it's the preacher's fault, they'll stand up and point their finger at me and say, preach on, preacher. If I blame it on their spouse, they'll give me a clap. If I blame it on the economy, they'll wave their hand. If I blame it on who's in the White House or who ain't, They'll give me a shout. 
But if I point my finger at you, you'll put up that religious devil defense and say, don't condemn me. You don't know the difference in condemnation and conviction, and I've already prayed. I've got 100,000 people joining me at the altar right now, praying for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to return to our pulpits so it can return to our hearts, so we can return to the altar and there have an encounter and call fire down from heaven once again. Now here's the good news for your hopeless situation. I've discovered a cure. I've discovered hmm, a vaccine for your awful and horrible demonic and debilitating symptoms of hopelessness. I dare you to allow this thought to strike like lightning out of a dark-throated storm cloud in your brain. You can hope again. They're not sure. I'm here to tell you today that I have discovered a 100% effective cure for the damnable virus called hopelessness. But first, I've got to do a couple of things. I did some examining of my patient, and so I've discovered the first thing that I can, must do is to get you free, watch me, from a false diagnosis. You've been to it. You like the woman with the issue of blood. You've been to enough doctors with enough letters after their name. They look like alphabet soup. And you are none the better. You, how often have you said this? I've tried everything. I've done everything right. Okay, there's a button. It's right about here. And when you press it, it sounds like this. <laughs> Wrong answer. That's an excuse. That's deferring your hope. I gotta get you free from the masking of modern philosophic and religious opioids that you are ingesting into your body, spirit, and soul every day, all day long. And like an opioid, all it does is mask the disease. No wonder Ohio is the fourth leading state of opioid addiction. No wonder people are pulling down their socks and sticking heroin in their veins. No wonder sipping saints are drunk more than they sip. Notice how quiet it is. It's because we turn to this. 
Do you know that 78% of the people that look on any form of platform of social media before they go to sleep have nightmares? They're depressed because they're looking into a false world that does not exist and then attempting to compare their life to that. Why don't you do what the Bible says? Why don't you open up one of the 1,166 pages of your Bible and look therein and then go away and you will not forget what manner of man you are. You are happy, you are blessed, you're an overcomer, you have overcome, you're standing tall, you're speaking life, you're living in liberty, you are healed, you are blessed coming in. I'm gonna give you two. All that stuff does, and I've noticed it during, during this pandemic. Everybody's trying to find, watch me, their escape. I got to, I got to get a new series on Netflix. I got, to, I got to have somebody over to my house or I'm gonna go crazy. How about you invite him? How about you go in your closet and close the door and get alone until you're not alone anymore? He will never leave you, they will. He will never forsake you, they will. He will not turn a deaf ear to you, they will. He will never walk away from you and every one of them will. Stop deferring your hope. Stop hollering, preach at me, I'm doing my best. Here we go. Two prevalent current worldviews, now I'm gonna slow down with you a little bit, that guarantee you'll spend your life living in absolute, overwhelming, utter hopelessness. If you ascribe to either of these philosophies or worldviews, you're going to spend your days in hopelessness. The first, materialism. Huh? Materialism. It's the belief. And some folks say, well, it can't be a lie because I believe it. It's probably a lie because you believe it. What, what, what do you mean? Read your Bible. You can't just read the Bible, you gotta read the Bible. I said read your Bible. These believe a lie and are therefore, excuse me modern pulpit, damned. Damned. Only two kind of people in front of me today. Saved ones, damned ones. And to hell with your amalgamation that tries to blend Christianity with materialism, postmodernism, and nihilism. You are damning the souls of men. Who would have thought that a lamb 
could rescue the souls of men. But he is my hope. He is my fortress. He is my God. He is my standby. He is my paraclete. He is my friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You can all leave me today and he will replace you with better in my life. He is my hope. He is my song. He is my sword. He is my shield. He is my shelter. He is my glory and the lifter of my head and he will not share his glory in my life with you. Materialism. It's the unchristian belief that the material world is all there is. They believe this microphone is reality. They believe this desk is reality. They believe this suit of clothes is reality. They believe my flesh is a reality, but there is no room made for anything that they cannot see. They base truth on what they see. They base reality on what they have heard. They base whether they are healed or not by how many headaches they've had this week. And they judge the veracity of God himself the character of God, the nature of God, the being of God by what they see. I prayed for healing and Aunt Minnie died, therefore God is only a part-time healer. These are they who create their theology in the middle of their crisis. I said some things in that best-selling book, Culturally Incorrect. It would be great for y'all to read it. I said, to the materialist, your consciousness, your personality, your creativity, and your emotions are just a happy accident driven purely by chemical reactions and neuroelectrical impulses. All natural. In this overwhelmingly popular in churches worldview, your death results in the complete extinction of your consciousness, of your personality, and of your individuality. Hope can never and hope will never be found in the elixir and opioid of materialism. God help you never to become as Madonna chirped, just a material girl living in a material world. Did you spend more time putting your makeup on this morning or before his throne? You spend more time yesterday in front of a television or in front of his presence. I love your cell phone. 
Look on your cell phone and check how many minutes per day, excuse me, hours per day you spent on it this week. Check your checkbook. See where your money went this week. Check your day planner. See how much of your time did you give him and how much time you spent like a mouse in a maze and a rat on a wheel trying to create hope. Are you frustrated? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you sad? Are you depressed? I'm giving you the cure. But like Naaman, it's too easy for you. The prophet told Naaman, go dip seven times in the Jordan. And he said, there are cleaner and better rivers in Samaria. Why would I dunk my body in that filthy water? How about this? To get rid of your leprosy. So his servants came to him and they said, look, dude, if he'd asked you to do something difficult, you'd have made all of us line up and help you do it. But because it's so easy, look, God made this thing so simple that even a fool like me need not err therein. How did we get so far from God? Who has so easily bewitched you? We're dying of hopelessness and we're going everywhere but to him. There's a second more poisonous worldview. It's infamously called postmodernism. Postmodernism. Your children's school books, unless they go to Harvest Prep, are full of it. God bless you that have a secular college degree because your entire worldview is warped. You were trained in postmodernism. Your thought processes are in line, not with a Christian worldview, but with a postmodern worldview. Those of you that attended 12 years in a public high school know nothing but postmodernism. It's really quiet. You expect to send your children to a secular school taught by a teacher with an alternative lifestyle and then you expect to bring them to Kid Harvest Clubhouse for an hour and 15 minutes a week and expect their worldview to be godly it won't be any more godly than yours is. You see, 
Preachers have not discerned their students. Spiritual doctors have ignored the primary disease and they do nothing but share elixirs and snake oil. Thank you. Make us feel better. That's your problem. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? You're going and getting your dose of opioid on Sunday morning for 45 minutes. How's that changed your situation? I don't know, man. Maybe I should have done this one without a crowd. <laughs> now hold on because I told you there's a cure. I can get... Look, I can get you free from your worldview addiction and I won't even have to put you in rehab. I can get your thinking straightened out and I won't even have to send you to a 21 day program. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you can leave this building or the room you're watching me in or in that congregation in Elkhart, a brand new creature. Your problem is you went to the doctor and got a pill and you needed heart surgery. Shall I continue? Postmodernism. Now that's the worldview that when it is full grown and mature, inevitably needs, leads to what is called nihilism. It's very easily summarized by the statements you hear and most of us make every day. Here it is, nothing matters. What difference does it make? Why should I pray? What difference does it make? I gave $10. No, I didn't get a thousand back. That's because some preacher lied to you. I want power to look at my precious friend over there that I pray for every morning and every night. I want power enough that his physical body can't stay in that wheelchair. Look. You understand you're believing something right now. You're believing he will or the stench of your unbelief is rising up under the nostrils of God because you haven't spent enough time with God to know who he is. And your hope is deferred and your heart is sick. Now the most common statement 
of nihilism, postmodernism, is one that is spoken about every third word from, from uh, what are they, generation, whatever it is now, X, Y, Z, element O, P, I don't know, right? I'm a baby boomer. Boom. What's that next one called? 20 year olds, what are they called? Millennials. <laughs> Whatever. Some of you say whatever every third sentence. Whatever. The world's falling apart. Whatever. That dress isn't becoming of a Christian young lady. Whatever. That language is offensive to God. <laughs> Whatever. Oral sex is the same as adultery and fornication. <laughs> Whatever. Honey, uh, we can't pay the bills if you're going to spend $200 at Ulta. Yeah, whatever. What about your fishing pole? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. What a term of absolute, overwhelming, ridiculously childish sentiment. Whatever. Nothing matters. My life's just gonna be crappy anyway. How many of you have heard somebody say, whatever in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? I don't particularly care. You're branded by the worldview that you espouse. And to that, some of you just responded in your heart, whatever. To those who hold that toxic worldview, truth is just a relative term. Because you have your truth. You know, Jesus died on the cross and rose again, whatever. And I have my truth. I'm a good person, so if there's a heaven, I'm going to go to it. No, really, that's not what the Bible says. Whatever. Your truth, my truth. Everything is an amalgamation of gray. No black, no white, no right, 
no wrong. Right and wrong are nothing more than my personal concept. I have my own construct of God, okay? What right do you have to try to impose your truth on me? I have every right because there's only one truth. His name is Jesus. He's not only the truth, he's the way. And he's not only the truth and the way, he's the life and you just whatever your own self on the road to hell, or you can turn around today and be delivered. So they have no, no path to follow. They have uh, no, no, no reference to the guideposts erected by past generations. They were just all stupid. We've been to university and we've got it all figured out. Question, who taught you? Who taught you? Who taught your children? Whose material has been branded on your brain? You got a four-year college degree, whatever. And 72% of you are not using anything they taught you in real life. They got your money, they changed your mind, and they abandoned you. Multitudes multiplied millions have totally and completely lost their way in the selfish and the self-destructive lifestyles that are produced by nihilism. But oh, my dear brother and sister, the contrast to all of us who have put our trust in the living Christ. Listen to the sweet psalmist of Israel from another Davidic Psalm 103 verse five. This is why I wait upon you, God, expecting your breakthrough for your word brings me hope. It's time to hope again. Hear this and have hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now abide faith, hope, love. These three hope right in the middle of the centerpiece of the three greatest graces of God. Faith looks forward in an eager anticipation of better days ahead, but hope, hope takes a look backward, not pining away for the good old days. It's not a gaze of regret for what once was, a moaning whimper about what might have been. It's a look back to a previous miracle or breakthrough. Look back to a previous healing, a previous deliverance, a victory, a look back to a former point of stability in your life, a past point of reference in order to have a confident expectation of a brighter tomorrow, knowing that if God be for me, who can be against me? 
knowing that if God did it before, God will do it once more. God will do it over again. That's what hope is. A favorable, confident expectation having to do with the future. <laughs> Happy anticipation of good. I didn't coin the phrase, but I'll quote it for you from the great Dr. Oral Roberts. Something good is about to happen to you. How about this one? Expect a miracle every day. How about this one? The atmosphere of expectancy. That's the breeding ground of your miracle. Or how about this one from God's word? Hold on my child, joy comes in the morning. What time is it? 11.21. That's a pretty good stopping point, but I can finish it on out if you want me to. <laughs> Hebrews 6.19 shouts it. I read it to you in the beginning. We have this hope <laughs> as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Our hope, now I'm going to get to pay dirt. Our hope must be anchored in Christ and in Christ alone. We're going to spend a moment here in Psalm 62, so flip your pages over there, click it in your phone. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Then the King James Psalm 62, verse 1, begins with the word truly. It says, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. But, but, but it's a very, very poor translation. The word truly is much more accurately translated and is translated this way in the entirety of the rest of Psalm 62. It's the word only. Only my soul waiteth on God. What are you waiting on? My soul only waits upon God. In fact, Psalm 62 is referred to by many, many theologians as the only psalm because of the number of times only shows up in it. King David wanted everybody to know that his confidence was in God only. And of the word waiteth, the great Haddon Spurgeon paraphrase said this. He said, if to wait on God is worship, if to wait on God is worship, then to wait on the creature or human effort is idolatry. I guess my question is, what are we waiting on? What are we hoping in? Where is our confidence? Where is our trust placed? 
Haddon Spurgeon continued, if waiting on God alone is true faith, then to trust in the arm of the flesh is audacious and insolent unbelief. Oh, now wait a minute. See, we look at everything as benign because we have a nihilistic worldview, whatever. What difference does it make? It's just a little thing. We have been so audacious and audacious and idolatrous that we have categorized sin. Preachers help us do it. Well, I heard one the other day stand behind a pulpit and proclaim to the entire world, sin won't send you to hell. Write to me, Rod Parsley, Post Office Box 100. I'll be glad to send you a Bible. Now here's a question. How often do we trust or have faith in everyone and everything else and how infrequently do we trust and wait on God only Jacob got in the mountain and he said I'm not going to let you go God until you bless me how much are you waiting on God to bless you financially? And how much are you abandoning everything else in your life to try to make another dollar? Wow. If you and I are to ever escape the clutches of hopelessness, we must stop. Stop once and forever for all. We must stop hoping in everyone and everything else but the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't call anyone else. Don't send an email. Don't run over to a friend or a relative's house. If Christians would bother to spend one-tenth, one-hundredth, one-thousandth the time actually on their knees praying for someone, they wouldn't have nearly as much time to lie about someone. Don't, don't get on social media. Some people try to get their hope. Preachers have become nothing more than hucksters. The gospel has been reduced to the 14 characters in a tweet. 
How come nobody ever tweets? Be sure your sin will find you out. I hadn't seen one of those. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. No, it's, you know, some picture of the ocean. Do you know that the entire church, the entire church is becoming naturalists? What do I mean? Listen to every song. Here's all you got to do to have a hit. Write a song that has anything to do with nature and nothing to do with God. The rain, the wind, the storm, the clouds. Now you listen this week to every song that comes on your Christian radio band and you write down the number of them that don't include one of those things. Naturalists. Can I just parenthetically insert the planet is not in any danger. The earth and all that in it is belongs to the Lord. And there's more science on my side, you gobbledygook doctor, than there is on yours. God owns this planet. We should take care of it. We should care for it. But how ridiculously prideful of us to think that anything you're going to do today, sipping out of your pasta straw, while we cater to China, who is dumping 100,000 times more pollutants into the air every day than the United States will in the next 10 years. Wake up. But that's what they taught you at school. Tree day, earth day, star day, moon day, Sunday. No, not Sunday. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Don't call a friend. Don't call one. Why? They're going to disappoint you. Don't get on social media. Why? You're just going to be depressed. Don't send an email. Because people aren't even courteous enough anymore to return them. Under God, don't surf the web or you're going to end up another King David. That low-life, peeping Tom, voyeuristic, first-degree murderer, David. Because you're going to end up in pornography. I threw my phone the other day. I was looking up something to study, and all of a sudden, bam! And I'm like, anything that ugly needs to be covered up. And I... I threw my phone across my study. It actually frightened me. That's like, that's like I'm, I'm just going to say this. 
People ask me if I'm tempted to drink. Uh, no. I did take a taste of it once. It, it tasted like carbonated urine. That's what it tasted like. And any of you that love it so much, it tasted that way to you the first time you tried it too. Because God was saying, what do you need that for? Well, I need it to relax. Wouldn't it be terrible if you had to get in your closet? Come on. Where are we? Well, I can't. I need a cigarette. It calms me down. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I'm feeling better already. Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I am strengthening thee. I am helping thee. I am upholding thee with the right hand of my righteousness. For I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound and disciplined mind. Stop looking for hope in all the wrong places. Don't go to your friends. Don't send a tweet. Don't send a text. Don't send an email. Don't call a meeting. Allow your heart to behold him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full. Now many can't do that because their sin won't allow them. So confess your sin. He already knows. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world, whatever, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We have this hope as a sure anchor of our souls. Oh, Jesus. We turn our eyes to you right now, Lord. To no other but you. To trust in only you to love only you, to see you, to seek you. We choose this morning, Lord, to defer our hope, to put it off on someone or something else, to look to someone or something else for our hope. We refuse from this moment forward to defer our faith 
and try to find it in the internet or find it in shopping or find it in our work or find it in friendships or find it anywhere but in Christ and in Christ alone. When you become the answer to every prayer we will ever pray, we'll be living in hope. Our hearts need healing. Our hearts have been sick. Our minds have been bombarded with worldviews that are contrary to your word. Cleanse us, O oh God. Wash us. Cleanse us. Let us declare we are cleansed. We are washed. We're sanctified. We're Holy Ghost filled. We're water baptized. And we're right with our God for all time. But Jesus, our Savior, is alive. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.